We're going to do the reading just a little bit different this morning. I'm going to start into a, a first of four segments. Revelations, the second chapter, verse 17 reads, Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying. To everyone I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone. And on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. This verse deals with a renewal and a new understanding, a new name. It was written by the disciple John around 95 AD on the island of Pathos, located off the west coast of Asia Minor where he was in exile. John states that the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. It is in the message to the seven churches that we find today's reading. The church that received the message was Pergamum. Pergamum was noted in that day as a religious center with many pagan shrines within its walls. John stated that those who remain faithful will be fed in the new age with manna, just as the Israelites were fed in the desert after the deliverance from Egypt. He further stated that they will be given a new charm, which would protect them against every evil. This charm was in the form of a white stone, similar to the stone you received this morning. And the new name is that of Christ, or God, and was written in the Old Testament in Isaiah, chapter 62, verse 2. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. We believe that the Bible is in each and every one of us. It is our own individual story. We come into this world hardwired for spirituality. Each person, place, and incident is symbolic and is within us, a part of us. As you hold the white stone that you received this morning, I would like to offer a suggestion as to what this morning's verse might mean to you. I would like to present an inner meaning for you to consider, remembering that Bible verses are individual to each of us. Take your stone and look at it. See its beauty. See its newness. As we journey on the path of our spiritual awakening, the white stone in each of us is constantly being renewed. The white stone in each of us is being revitalized, redeemed. The white stone and the name written on it is a symbol of our spiritual growth, whereby we cancel out the old, discontinue our old way of thinking, and put an end to our habit of forgetting who and what we truly are. As each of us partakes in the manna, our spiritual food that is ours for the asking, we become nourished and whole. The energy that we derive from this mana gives the inner energy that we need in order to reach a higher state of consciousness, of a purified state of consciousness, a state of consciousness that is symbolized by the white of your stone. As this renewal process takes place within, we gain the knowledge of a new name within us, and more importantly, we gain a deeper understanding of that new name and where it might lead us. The new name, the new spiritual name, that is the true nature of our being, is the name we know of as I am.
As you hold your white stone in your hand, know that you are starting with a clean slate. In this ceremony, we are going to be writing down a new name for ourselves. The white stone is an ancient ritual. In Jesus' day, when someone served time in prison or in bondage of any kind, they were given a white stone when they were released. Each of us comes from bondage of some kind today, and we are being given a white stone to signify our freedom. All of your past nonsense was a prison to you, but now you are free to go and be and do anything you choose. Anything you can believe and conceive, you can be and do. In Revelations, John talks about the people being given a new name. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The churches were those people whose thoughts were turned towards God. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. To all who see beyond the appearances, I will give all that is needed to live. This ear John refers to is not your outer ear, but the ear of the soul, which is within us. This refers to the ear that hears the still small voice as it whispers to us. We develop this inner listening quality by getting out of our intellect and into our hearts through prayer and meditation. Prayer and meditation are ways to take the journey from our heads to our hearts. So the first part of the verse tells us to listen, to develop the ear of the soul, to sit in the silence and listen to spirit. And then it says, to everyone who conquers, for us as followers of spirit, this is not an outer war at all, but an inner war that requires surrender. For us to be in the world, but not of the world. And yet, how many times have we not surrendered to that sweet spirit that calls us in every moment? But when, do we, but when we do surrender to that spirit and go within, then and only then do we conquer. What a paradox. Only in the surrender is there victory. Not an outer surrender or an outer victory, but an inner surrender and an inner victory of letting go and letting God be God in me and through me. When Moses was wandering in the wilderness, the manna was that which God sent down each day. The people only had to go and collect it each day. They did not have to do anything else for God to give them all that was needed to live. So when we surrender to spirit, then the promise is fulfilled. And we are given hidden manna that is not visible to the world. We are given the peace that passes all human understanding. And we are given an entirely new source of energy and nourishment. The hidden manna is derived from the higher levels of being within us. It nourishes the soul first, then the body. 
Matthew 6, verse 33. Strive first for the kingdom, and all these things will be given to you. It benefits the whole being. In the Gospels, Jesus alludes to this very thing when he says to his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The hidden manna is the vital life substance and energy of spirit directly assimilated into our being. The second part of the promise is, and I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. At this time, it was believed that when the people had overcome and had made their connection with the divine, then they got a new name. That new name was written on a white stone. The name was given to them directly by God. No one else intervened. <clears throat> no one else was aware of this new name. It was a new nature, the freedom from bondage. When people had overcome, when they were set free from their bondage, they got that stone. In the Bible, you see many name changes. For example, Saul, which means personal will, was struck to his knees. His physical eyes were blind for three days, and he had to look within. He went from pers persecuting Christians to helping them. He became the reason that Christianity survived. His trips to spread Christianity changed the face of this earth. He was given a new name at the time of his awakening. Saul, personal will, was transformed to Paul, which means enlightened will. He became will that followed God's will. Abram, as he grew in spiritual awareness, became Abraham. Sari became Sarah. The change in name always signifies a change in consciousness. In biblical times, a name was a very meaningful and sacred thing. Every name represented a quality that was in the person who carries the name. You didn't choose a name for your child because you liked the name. You chose it for whatever essence you saw in the child. After we surrender to that inner spirit, we are promised a new name. This refers to the new and higher realization of the I am. Before coming into truth, when we say, I am, we were usually thinking of only our current opinions of ourselves. After study and greater realization of I am, we came to realize that it is more than an opinion of oneself. It is more of an awareness of the God self, of the higher self, or real self. Our real self or God self is so much greater than any opinions we can ever have of ourselves. It requires our reaching a higher level of consciousness within ourselves to even bear facing a realization of our real self, God self. This is the white stone mentioned. White metaphysically represents joy, victory, and purification. In this white stone, or purified state of consciousness, we know that the Father and I are one. In this white stone consciousness, we remember that God said to Moses, 
I am what I am. And in, his hi- and in this higher white stone consciousness, within ourselves, we learn our new name, an entirely new realization of our true I am. We conquer and receive the hidden manna, our full potential, by consciously surrendering, letting go of that unnecessary baggage. By prayer and meditation, by utilizing the tools of affirmations and denials, and by remembering that I am God is. As we surrender and follow the tools of spirit, we make a space for unlimited possibilities to become manifest in 2009. In creating a space in our consciousness, we open ourselves up to unlimited possibilities, unlimited potential in 2009. And so I encourage you to consciously invite the activity of God, the Holy Spirit, into your heart and mind for the next few minutes. Perhaps there is a new career, a new title, or a new quality that spirit is pressing out through you. I ask you to give your ego a few minutes off and let that divine holy self in you come through. Give yourself permission to know that you have a new quality, a new name. I've seen people who, when they write the word peace, love, or presence, take on a new essence of who they are. Later, you will be invited to write the name on your stone and to carry it with you and carry that name in your heart. Whenever we ask, there is always an answer. Now I introduce to you our own spiritual director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Thank you, Jennifer. Good morning. Welcome. So you're ready for a new name? It's quite a long reading, but I think it sets up what we're going to do today quite nicely. And I thank the practitioners and ministers and their support with that. So let's sing. Would you all like to stand up and sing? Let's sing in 2009. A lot of you have probably already done that, but we can do a little more. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room In this very room, in this very room. So let us know together right now in this moment. Let us recognize the one power, the one presence, the one infinite divine intelligence that is in and through and as all of life. In and through and as you and I. As we acknowledge that, let us let this... This essence, this quality, whatever that new name is that is seeking expression by means of us, let's welcome it. Let us put down any sense of need to manipulate or force, but let us be open and available to that idea that emerges.
powerfully and wonderfully. Let us stand in that clear and divine co-creation of life like never before. Let us move into 2009 knowing that everything and everyone, the entire universe is conspiring in every good way for our success, for our benefit. For this I give thanks, knowing it is already done in the mind of the one and we are that space where that experience shows up right here and right now. With that said, I give thanks. I release these words and together we say, and so it is. Thank you. Let's be seated. So here we are, first Sunday of 2009. And, and did you all get, a, did you all get a, a, a stone, piece of tile? Great. If you didn't get one, let the ushers know and we'll make sure you get one. Thank you, Brown. So here we are, setting a new intention for this coming year, if we choose to. I mean, we're always setting intentions. Every day we get up, we're setting intention. Most of the time, I find myself setting the same intention I, I set the day before, unless I'm mindful about it. But what we know is Dr. Holmes talked about our, our teaching, and, and it, this teaching is a powerful, powerful teaching. And it's not for wimps, so you can't be a wimp and do this. It, it really requires attention. It really requires commitment and dedication. It requires a, a, an awareness of, of um, how our life is unfolding and how we might like life to unfold in a new way. It's about personal improvement. It's about it's embodying consciousness. Dr. Holmes said that as we embody consciousness, as we grow in consciousness, we deepen. Really, it isn't so much about embodying because the, the totality of the infinite is within you and I. That consciousness is already there. It's the revelation of it. It is moving things aside that allow that to have greater expression in our lives. But we would we'd like to think of it as growing in consciousness. But it is a growing awareness within us. But as we grow that, it, it creates greater powers, as he said, and higher possibilities. Greater powers and higher possibilities. Which, you know, if we like, if we like, to, we like mystery and we like the occult, that doesn't sound very exciting because it's so much more fun to think it's magic. How did it show up in my life? Well, it was magic. You know, the evil forces showed up and made me do what I did. You know, remember the devil made me do it? That one that was quite popular back when uh, Laugh-In was on, if anybody's old enough to remember Laugh-In. The devil made me do it. Well, that's the problem with our, our teaching is because we don't, we don't have a devil. I don't have a devil I can scare you with. I don't even have hell to scare you with. If you don't show up next Sunday, I can't send you to hell. But I was raised in a tradition that did. So I was, I was hooped about 12 years old. I was, uh, I was done. I didn't know if I was in trouble or not because I'd show up, but I wouldn't be in attendance, if you know what I mean. I'd be off somewhere else. So I thought, I wonder if they know. I wonder if he knows this anthropomorphic God is watching me and knows every thought. But the point is, is that, that, that what prayer is for us, prayer is a movement of thought within the individual along a specific meditation with a, with a result in mind. Prayer is a movement of thought within you and I along a specific meditation with a specific result in mind. That's what prayer is. And the more that we can embody that, the more that we, we ground ourselves in that, the more our experience changes or it becomes more beautiful. Perhaps the outer doesn't change as much as the inner experience of what we're experiencing. And it's a law. It works, it works equally for everyone. It, it, it's just like if, we, if, if I mix paint, if I mix green and blue together, I get red, right? If I mix green and blue together, I get brown. If I mix 
Green and blue together, what do I get? Teal, thanks. <laughs> Who said teal? John, throw that guy out of here. You get purple. Green and blue. You guys told me at the beginning. You told me it was purple. Uh, you're in big trouble now. I'm not... Anyway, it's a law. I got something to throw at you, you know. But the point is, if we, mix, if we mix colors together, we mix two primary colors together, we get the same color over and over and over again. And it's the same with, what we, it's the same with this, this, this teaching that we have, this, this divine intelligence. If we impress upon it a certain idea, we get a certain result. So we all have certain results in our lives based on the sum total of those beliefs that we've carried with us and we've impressed upon this infinite law. We are immersed in this subjective law. And the subjective law, the subjective can do... The only thing it can do is say yes. It's confusing because it would seem it would be objective, but it is subjective because it is subjective to the nature of the consciousness that is impressing upon it. So if I'm standing up here in a, in a, in a big vat uh, of uh, silly putty and I press out this way and you see my hand, you won't see me, you'll just see the silly putty or whatever it is and you'll see my hand come out, but it'll be my hand. There'll be no other hand like it. You'll see that impress of that hand. Now, if you were in here with me, you'd be, at a different, you'd be at a different angle, you'd be at a different... But the point being is that it, it can only receive what it is given. So that's why it is so important for us, our name, our nature to shift and change. Because name really reflects nature. And so whatever it is, whatever's alive for you today, we're going we're gonna to look at this. We have, um, we have pencils scattered throughout if you'd like to use a pencil, but we also have some gold metallic markers that are permanent and they're in the back table there back by Barb there's a dozen of them and if you'd like to when you we're going to do a meditation I'm going to guide you in that we're going to look at this in a few moments but it's important because when we whenever we start a class wherever we go it's important the set is so important how do we start this year we start well we end well it's been my experience we start poorly it's tough to catch up how would you like to start? Where are you in your experience? Where are we as a community? Where are we as a movement? Where, is, where are we as a planet and as a people? And I think the awareness about where we are and who we are and the possibilities of change are much more available now than they ever have been. Uh, if we look at it, I mean, uh, the, the, you know, the example of Obama, Obama being elected president in a country that you know, 50 or 60 years ago wouldn't even let him get on the, on the bus and ride in the front is just amazing, the shift in consciousness. But that's how it works. It's sequential. As he said, it's not static. And so this movement of thought within us, we are the ones that control that. We are the ones that choose moment by moment. And awareness is waking up to that and being mindful of that with as much diligence and care as, as possible that we can bring to it, that, that present moment awareness. Diane, do you know Diane? Uh, Diane, stand up. Diane Romachuk, if you come in every Sunday, she does our programs for us. Now turn around so they can all see it. This is Diane, and she does our programs. She stuffs our programs. Let's give Diane a hand. A great job. Sending her love. There you go. All sending you love. And Diane went home for Christmas. She went to two hills. And I asked her at the first service, I said, how many hills are in two hills? How many hills? One. There's one hill in two hills. <laughs> so go figure. I want to go see that one hill someday. I've been by three hills, which makes me wonder how many hills are in three hills. There's the nature, huh? Maybe they wanted two hills and they only had one, so let's name it two hills. They did the stone. They had the thing going. 
But Dr. Holmes said that as we, yeah, this is a provable science. Our teaching, this, is no, this stuff is no good unless we can prove it. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of airy-fairy air. It, it, it doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't have any purpose in our lives. We're here to live life and live life abundantly, as the teacher Jesus said. It was very traditional. The reading was very traditional. We brought it, I, I borrowed that from the Unity Churches. The Unity Churches all over the world do this uh, white stone ceremony, and I thought it would be a nice ceremony for us to try. And they're much more traditional in their language. Someone, when they were walking out the door after the first service, looked at me and said, just glad you didn't refer to yourself as a sinner today. And I said, well, thanks. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out what he was talking about, but I think it was because of the language of the reading is so... Is so uh, typically contemporary to what you know the Western culture is used to, but we know that the, this this idea of Jesus is not this Jesus that's that we worship as the, as the Christ consciousness to embody, and and so you know I see it everywhere. I, I just finished reading the book The Shack. Has anybody read The Shack? It's a great, a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book, and it, and it really approaches this idea of spirituality and relationship with the infinite. Once again, making God or the the Trinity of God personalities. Which is, I think, for us, it, it makes it easier for us because we're used to personalities. We're used to this idea of, of father and mother and, 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 and mentor. And yet this infinite intelligence is a power. It's an energy. It's all around us. And it is personal, us, personal to us to the degree we make it personal. But we're not so fixated on what the icon looks like. You know, we've got many traditions on the planet. Jesus, Buddha... You know, whoever you, whoever, Oprah, some of people have accused us of worshiping Oprah. I said, yeah, we do kind of some days when I'm, you know. <laughs> she does a nice job. I think she's doing a, she has a wonderful ministry. But the point being is that we don't get stuck on that because we realize the work for us to do is not to, to pour more love into an icon. It is to pour more love into ourselves. It's how can we embody the qualities that allow us to live the best life possible. I want to borrow a video for, um, uh, from a DVD from Sue Hodge. About a year ago, I finally watched it this week on talking about the brain and brain fitness. And see, we're, there's no, it's all interconnected. We are this mechanism that, that needs to function well in many areas. But to have an efficient brain, the brain is amazing. And we think as we get older, we deteriorate. And they have found now, we, we live, as Dr. Holmes said, one day, the first line in this book is in the Science of Mind book, the, the chapter I'm, I'm drawing from today says, one day science and religion will walk hand in hand. And religion and science are walking hand in hand. And what we know about the brain and how it works is that even though we get older and we, we create those ruts of repetitive thinking, we, have the, we get into those patterns, we get entrenched in those ideas. And, they, and they're able to, they measure that now. It's amazing the things they can do. But it talks about keeping a healthy, vibrant brain and being able to make the changes and make the shifts. One of the, one of the beautiful illustrations in that story is a man that had a stroke. And he was a medical doctor. He lived in Mexico. And I don't recall the name, but his son was also a, uh, a medical uh, professional. And he had a stroke, and his, he, his son took him home. And all he could do was crawl along with his one arm. He could pull himself along with his one arm. And he said his father had two things going for him. Number one, he was very determined to get well, very determined to get, to get healthy again. And the other was that he hated people helping him. He hated having to depend on anybody. And so over a period of time, he went from dragging himself to crawling to eventually walking again, and he regained all of his faculties. And so years later, the man passed away, and they did an autopsy on his brain because he had been a survivor, of this, a survivor and a thriver of this stroke. And as a result of the research, they brought the son and said, we want to show you your father's brain. And he was a bit put off by it because he thought it was a 
kind of, you know, this is his father. But he went in and looked, and where they, they could see the signs where the brain tissue had been damaged and, and basically died from the stroke, and yet around it, all of the, there was new brain matter that had created itself. But it was a result they knew of his determination and his, and his striving, his striving and his, his passion to, to recapture the life that he had lost. And I think it's a wonderful illustration of us. We get stuck into these, these, these ways of thinking and being, and we actually put grooves in the, our brains. And it's difficult but not impossible to change that. And as he talked about it in this beautiful video on brain fitness, I'm going to start sharing it in some of the classes we have around here. So I asked Sue if I could keep it for a little while longer. But when we bring ourselves to whatever it is, and we're passionate about it, and we're determined, and we've got the, and, and the expectancy. Dr. Holmes said, let's get rid of the fear and the evil and the, the superstition and all these things that restrict us and move forward with happiness and joy and the expectancy of greater good. Life's going to work out. Life's working for me. It's so healthy to do that and to be passionate about it and, and to learn a new skill. They said one of the things that makes older people vibrant is, and you know, I'm looking at this because I'm, you know, I'm heading in that direction. I was, I'd like to be Benjamin Button and head in the other direction, but I'm heading in that direction. But how do you stay sharp and how do you stay clear and how do you stay productive and creative and free and healthy? And one of the things is to learn new skills. It's to learn new things, like learn a language, something that it, it requires exertion. And also we have to have our healthy hearts. We have to take care of our bodies. We have to, one hour a day, they say five days a week is optimal to have a healthy heart so that that brain is functioning. You want to you make it a, a bit strenuous or a, stretch yourself a little bit. It's so important. It's so important that, that, uh, to be awake and aware and alive. And then to find things that create passion in our lives, new, new ideas. Learn how to speak a language if you're passionate about that. You know what you're passionate about. Learn how to play an instrument. These musicians, they're stretched all the time with their instruments and the songs. One of the things that keeps them alive. I think that our elder generation of ministers, we have ministers that live well into their 80s and 90s and 100 years old, but they're alive. Our teaching is new thought. It's not taking the same thought over and over again. It even talks about that, that if you're a golfer and you love to golf, great, play golf. But that's not going to extend you because it's, it, the grooves are already drawn for that. I got a couple grooves on, on, in terms of my slice and my hook I'd like to get rid of, but <laughs> the grooves are already there. So, and not, not that it isn't great not to do that, but to find new ways to be in the world what we're called for. See, that's what I love about this job. I get to go and pick. See, people, I was at a seminar in, in Kansas City a while back, and someone was on a panel, and someone said, well, I am another minister. And see, I think, I think religious science, I think our teaching is everywhere. I look in the world, I read the newspaper, and I either, you either read brilliance or ignorance. It's one or the other. People are either fighting and struggling, or they're thriving. It doesn't seem like, it just seems kind of apparent to me, so I see it everywhere. And the person I was on the panel with said, you know, I am a dyed-in-the-wool, it's all I teach. I teach religious science, I don't teach nothing else, and on and on and on for five minutes. And then they asked me, and I said, I don't know how to answer that. I'm, I'm not trained to teach anything else. But, but I see it everywhere. I see it in every, every, every person's life. I see it whether people know it or not. I was in Tucson, Arizona. I was in Phoenix for some training a few weeks ago. And I went and saw one of my dearest friends in the world. I, I just adore this man. He taught me carpentry. He probably saved my life. Never been in a religious science church in his life. Never read a book. Probably one of the finest metaphysicians I've ever met. Just a beautiful, beautiful man. Using the principles that we teach in a way that were practical and wonderful in his life. And, and the kind of guy that when I eventually grow up, I want to be just like him. But, you know, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't mean that we, we all have to follow the same path. He showed up 
with different gifts and different opportunities, but to apply the principle and to use it in a way that's, that's, that's meaningful, that stretches us. So to find the passion. So what are you passionate about this year? What are the qualities that are, are, are stirring within you? I wrote mine down in the first service. I used the, the gold. I was even so sure I didn't, I didn't even do it in pencil. I used the gold stuff that's... Uh, so I can't erase it, but I do have a belt sander at home. I could probably uh, <laughs> take it down if I change my mind. I'm just kidding. No, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. This is my word for the year. I got it. So I'm going to lead you in a meditation right now. And it's your meditation. And, it, you know, if something comes up for you that's wonderful and powerful, but in the collective consciousness, the power of the swarm, it's a wonderful thing to do. What is the quality that is, that is stirring within you? And it could be the simplest thing. You don't have to understand all of it. What it comes alive for you in this moment. Let that infinite intelligence that lives within you bubble up. And what is the word? What is that word that's alive for you? Somebody asked me, we've got a number of stones back there. Uh, if you have a friend or somebody you know uh, that, and you'd like to take one to them, you know, please, I'm not, I don't want everybody to take one. We won't have enough for 4 o'clock. But if you really feel compelled, you have somebody at home that you'd like to share this with. You know, by all means, do that. But if you take them all, then I've got to run to Home Depot and buy a bunch more tile after this service. And I'd prefer not to do that. Or I'll be home belt sanding this one down, one or the other. <laughs> so I'm going to lead you in this meditation. It's, uh, it's scripted, so I want to, uh, I'm going to step back to the podium here. So I'm going to invite you. Brown, would you doodle behind us? We'll get Brown up here to do a little music. He calls it playing, I call it doodling. So, so I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and open them whenever opening them is comfortable for you. This is an invitation. Let's become still for a moment, a moment and allow God to express through you and as you. And I invite you to take the white stone in your hand and hold it. And as you hold it, I want you to know and be reminded that this is a symbol of new life. As it said in this reading, when we were freed from our prison in ancient days, we were given a clean slate. I want you to see it as a symbol of who you have become, of who you are becoming, and of who you would like to become. Feel the presence of the infinite and know your oneness with this infinite presence. Know your I amness with God. Feel that loving presence of God as it surrounds and supports you, knowing right now that you are safe and secure. You are loved and supported by the presence of God. Know that you are encouraged by everyone here and beyond these walls. Know that you are loved and appreciated by this spiritual community. Behold the Christ consciousness in each one of us and let us know that it declares, I make all you. As it says in Revelations, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone. And on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. And so this white stone is the promise of a new life. It is a symbol of a clean slate, as was a custom in the times when the, the Bible was written. When one was set free from prison, they were given a white stone, and they carried that white stone with them as proof for anyone to see that they had completed their obligation, that their slate was clean, and that they were free. And so this is our sign of a clean slate. Whatever has gone on in the past, we let go. Let us go. Let's let go right now. 
This is a sign of our ability in this moment to live in this new beginning. This is a moment in which we know we are free. Free from all that has bound us. Free from the prison in which we have put ourselves. To those who move forward in faith, a new name is given. And so now we meditate on our new name. For each of us has overcome adversity. We have freed ourselves to live more fully, conscious of the activity of the whole Spirit of God in the creative life force and in every aspect of our lives. We are now free from limiting thoughts about ourselves, each other, and our world. Remember to breathe. Remember to be present. Anytime you look at your white stone, realize that you have the, the gift of choice. The gift to live differently, to live more, a more fulfilling life, to begin again, to connect with the infinite and co-create with God. John wrote in his book of Revelations that the white stone carries a new name, the spiritual identity and a deeper awareness of what God has planned for you. No one in the entire universe except you and the infinite knows what this new name is, but it has come to you to be lived out you and only you, to be expressed, to be embodied as you. It is what God is calling you to be or do. It is a whisper from your soul that you are so much more than you have ever let come into your expression. And you are. So as you spend time with that, if something comes alive for you in this moment, record it, think about it. If you'd like to write it down, Please do that. If it's not alive for you right now, let it work with you. This is not a race. This isn't a competition. See what's alive for you.